Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying time is here. That's right. We are talking a nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors on Kill by Kill. Well, greetings and salutations, Internet. It's your old pal, Patrick Hamilton, coming to you once again from nearish to 1428 Elm Street. This is the Kill by Kill podcast. We are dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film, and that is the characters. We're going to talk all about those poor teens up in that very dire situation of a hospital in the hopes that, oh, Jesus we're going to have to make fun of kids in a mental hospital. You know what? We're going to try our best. And of course, there's only one person that I trust that if you cast Lawrence Fishburne in a movie, you're not just going to cast him as the guy who delivers pills, the one and only Gina Radcliffe. How are you doing, Gina? Or or wouldn't I? (laughs) I mean, mean, who better to to offer just a... a you know, sort of soothing comfort and then the voice of Lawrence Fishburne is handing you your 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 nighty night pills. <laughs> I mean, when you say it like that, yes, it does. I mean, for me personally, that would be great. But in terms of this movie, I will only speak for myself at the outset. I feel like it seems like if you had Craig Wasson walk into the room and how would you even notice because he would blend into the wallpaper behind you. And Lawrence motherfucking Fishburne. You go with Lawrence Fishburne. Uh, okay. Before we get too far into it, uh, I hate to alarm you, Gina. And this keeps happening, but uh, turns out we are not alone. That's right. We have a very special guest. Uh, you know her from her work on Dread Central, and you've heard her on so very many podcasts like the Screamcast, F This Movie, Just the Disc, uh, some junk pile called Kill by Kill. I don't even know what that is. It's the return of the one and the only Stephanie Crawford. How are you doing, Stephanie? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me again. I'm so happy to have you back. You're such a delightful presence on all the very many shows that you and people ask you on for a reason. You are, in fact, a delightful presence wherever you light. And so we made a promise to you last time when we had you on for Jason X. Next time, we will have you on for a fun movie. And luckily, I asked you, do you consider Dream Warriors fun? And I believe you uh, responded with a yes and two exclamation marks. (laughs) That's my trademark. (laughs) But I didn't put it all together at first. I thought you uh, you're asking me a deep question because it is about kids at a hospital. So it's like, oh, my gosh, is he doing like a psychopath test with his Twitter friends or something? Like, am I going to pass? Well, let's see. I have a lot of paperwork and you're going to have to fill out quite a few bubbles on the sheet. But we'll get to that. First, let's start with the most important question. And that is, what was your first introduction to the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise? My very first one. Okay, so... I've talked about this before, but my parents are pretty strict about me seeing horror movies until they got Cinemax and I started sneaking them. And they're like, fine, there's no way we can supervise you when we're trying to sleep. So for 
I think it was my 11th or 12th birthday, my mom got me a pile of movies. It was the first four, Friday the 13th, Evil Dead 1 and 2, and A Nightmare on Elm Street. I think your mom's a hero. I might build a monument to her. This she sounds is. Like a great she's plan. a librarian. You should. Absolutely. Well, <laughs> she's doing a service to her community. It was that now you only had the first one. Did that light your fire as it were? Did you want more or were, were you content with it? Or did you feel like oh, all these other films have all these sequels? Did you, did you feel, did it? I fell in love with it. Freddy okay. quickly became my favorite. I loved Jason and the Friday the 13th, but something about Freddy, I think is because I've always more when I was younger, but had very intense nightmares all the time. Mm-hmm. So he was very effective to me and I did hunt down the sequels. None of them captured my imagination the way the first one did, but I can enjoy every single one. And I can't say that about every franchise (laughs) Um, to the point. (laughs) Can you believe it? (laughs) It's blowing my mind here. (laughs) Um, But my birthday is in October, but it's early October. So for my sweet 16, I saved it for Halloween. And then I dressed up as Freddy for my sweet 16 Halloween party. (laughs) Full latex makeup, the whole thing. And when I answered the door, I put the claw around, just around the door so they could only see the claw. And I tapped it and everyone, each one screamed. So (laughs) I got to feel that little thrill of what being Freddy was like. But then it started melting when we were eating pizza and Everyone told me I looked too creepy and I had to take that part <laughs> off. But other than that, it's great. It's pretty comfortable. You got a, a loose sweater on. And uh, depending on which version of Freddy, you're either wearing black sweatpants or tattered uh, black pants. Um, we only discovered that uh, Freddy was wore some version of sweatpants in the original film uh, merely weeks ago. So we're still reeling from that revelation. Well, it's an active lifestyle. It really, he gets around and it's his dream. Why can't he be comfortable? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's Freddy's world. We're just living in it and dying in it. <laughs> so here we go. Let's get right into the action here. We start the film with what feels like an endless blackout in between the New Line Cinema title graphic, and this Edgar Allan Poe quote. I have a controversy already. Already? Okay. So I was looking that quote up because I was curious what it was in exactly. And most people say Edgar Allan Poe never said that. They just attributed that to him. Have you ever seen that MGMT video uh, where they have the Nietzsche abyss quote, but they attribute it to Mark Twain? I wonder (laughs) if it's just that kind of thing. Like, yeah, that sounds cool. Name me a famous person. Ah, Poe is spooky. Put him in. (laughs) Sure. Makes sense to me. I'm still not entirely sure what it has to do with the theme or the drive of this particular film in the franchise or they just thought "Ah, we got to start it with something and it can't be a person ripping open a flower bag it's got (laughs) because on the on the scale of the scariest things um i immediately said oh my god someone's having a nightmare about cooking forgetting that it's actually you know 
what what is she doing with newspaper and what is that called? It's not paper mache. Paper, mache. paper mache. Paper mache. Well, you didn't do that. Um, in, you didn't do that in school. No, it, it, you didn't do that in your room as a teenager. Oh, in yeah, your free in my, time. Yes, uh, I did paper mache. Is that is, is that terminology for for masturbating to a Surfer magazine? Yes. No. Yes. Okay. Yes. Then I did a lot of paper mache. <laughs> <laughs> I did so much paper mache, particularly in uh, my fourteen to eighteen years old stage. Uh, in high school, uh, where no one wanted to look me in the eye because they were afraid I would look back. Just so many projects. Just, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I built monuments, uh, they say, and I don't know who they would be. Uh, but I promise you those monuments were <laughs> disgusting and I should feel bad about myself. I was going to say they should stop watching you because that's really weird. Can I please excuse myself from the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you can't see me. I'm raising my hand. <laughs> nope. You're in it already. All right. Uh, you're stuck. So, oh, here's the question that I wanted to ask you before we really get going here. Now, each of you, I asked you a question before you began watching the film. I said, hey, uh, Gina. Hey, uh, Steph. Um, who do you think is the lead in this movie? And I believe both of you responded with what would seem like a very rational answer. And, and that would be uh, Kristen played by the ever lovely, uh, super smart and talented Patricia Arquette. And now that you've watched some, if not all of the film, are you sticking to that answer or have you changed your mind? Well, I mean, I, I'm, it's been a minute since I've watched this movie and mm -hmm. there was a lot that I didn't remember. Like I did not remember how many characters are in this movie. Yeah, There's a lot so of characters in this movie. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't remember that uh, Amy Irving's mom from Carrie is in it. Um, <laughs> I definitely didn't remember. I definitely didn't remember Lawrence Fishburne being in it. Um, yeah, Sorry, who's Lawrence Fishburne? Are you got? Do you guys mean Larry? Fishburne? Oh yeah, Larry. Larry. <laughs> I do mean Captain Carl himself, Larry Fishburne. <laughs> These are the casual not, not years. Captain Carl. These Cowboy. are the sweatpant years of his acting. <laughs> um, I'm kind of um, kazamming myself was a word to uh, to uh, still thinking that it's it is um, Kristen Patricia Arquette's character. I mm. have the the sneaking suspicion it's actually old body double himself, Craig Wasson. Ding 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 ding. Okay, <laughs> Steph. <laughs> Did you did you also discover this or are, do you still feel you have a, a different look at this? I thought he was wallpaper. Um, I, I'd <laughs> like to hear the scoop. He's body double guy. He will always be. He's, he is body double. Body double. Or I Bill Maher if he, you squint. That's true. He he, he yes. probably he probably has an extensive filmography. He will always be body double guy <laughs> to me. <laughs> um, Craig Wasson's. Star power, and I put that in dick fingers, confounds me. But that's okay. Not everyone has to like everything, and I'm I'm sure he's a lovely person, despite his resemblance to Bill Maher, one of the greatest dicks ever to walk planet <laughs> Earth, and continued to get a fucking HBO paycheck for some goddamn reason. I really wish he was stuck to the cheesy like B movies he was doing. I think he worked there. Like, he should have stayed there. If he, if that 
that spinoff from Murder She Wrote had gone, we wouldn't be we wouldn't be living in this reality right now. He would just be a guy who did seven seasons of a CBS procedural. We this this would not have happened, but no, he got Beautiful rejected woman. by the man. And he had to improvise, and somehow he landed in, in that officious thing. But I was mystified how much time is spent talking to, convincing, cajoling, having the camera point at Craig Wasson as if all the kids who had watched two Nightmare on Elm Street movies at this point were like, oh, my God, these teens are great, but... What does that guy who's like 39 think about what's happening? He reminds me of my chemistry teacher. This is a good time. (laughs) I mean, what a scintillating film presence is Craig Wasson, a guy whose best role was bad actor. That's why we can convince him that he witnessed a murder. Craig Wasson. He really, he really, he really brings that that single dad at back to school night energy to to <laughs> to the proceeding. He he just he he's just you know a a a a vision in in Dockers. I mean, you know he's real because light doesn't pass through him, so he's a solid object. He's made from carbon. These I, I, are all I, great things. I think his his stage direction in the script was limited entirely to to Neil looks perplexed. Mm. He constantly mm. looks he constantly looks pocket. perplexed. May or may not need glasses. <laughs> That's Neil. Is it maybe a load-bearing role? And they kind of talked and they're like, you know, we have some violent, crazy things in this movie. We need oatmeal. I think that'll help us with the MPAA. If we We, can just kind of sneak some of this. We need something bland and and harmless to just balance out the horror. A a binding agent. It's like the roux in a a stew or gumbo. It's, It's the medium through which all the other more delicious bits, you know, get to get sloshed into your mouth. You know, if you look at the director's cut, you'll see that there's another scene of, of Kristen making a shapeless blob out of, out of paper mache and it's Neil. The centerpiece of the movie, Neil. Now, in a way I kind of get as a, as a writer, why you might need a Neil like character because Nancy knows what Freddie is. She doesn't need to be convinced. The kids understand what they might not know. His name is Freddie, but they know Freddie exists. They know that he can kill you if you're asleep. So you need one person in this movie to convince that Freddie is a real threat. I just don't think you need to make him the lead of the movie by constantly pointing the camera at his okay-ish haircut. <laughs> I I don't know if Craig Wasson is still with us. I assume that he is. And I want to apologize to him. Oh, yeah, he is. I am going to rip the fuck out of Craig Wasson every chance I get. I'm looking at his filmography right now. I have he has not starred in a movie I have heard of since 1992. But he <laughs> but he but he is still acting. God bless his soul. People are still asking him to read lines off a of paper. And he's like, sure, I have an afternoon. 
Um, Would so, your audience like to be reminded that Gap exists? I'm your man. <laughs> he wears patterns in this movie that hurt my eyeballs. And the crazy thing is he mostly wears muted browns and grays. How is that possible? <laughs> At one point, he wears a jacket that literally looks like someone stripped the hide off of a bad couch and said, here, put this on your body and walk in front of that camera. And he did. <laughs> There's this thing in Las Vegas casinos where if you look down, the carpet is always really ugly and disorienting because mm. they want people to keep their eyes up looking at all the things they can spend their money on. <laughs> and so I wonder if it's like a psychological trap where... <laughs> He's like, I, I want to throw these kids off, but I want to be a soothing presence. So I'll be a Las Vegas casino carpet, but beige. <laughs> and then they'll know who's in charge. You want to know who's buying all those train albums? It's Neil. <laughs> oh, man. Craig, knock that off. <laughs> oh, man. I Listen, we've managed to rename... Two char- a character in every single movie. As far as I'm concerned, I don't know who this Neil person is. This is Craig Wasson, and his new nickname is Psychological. T- what did you call it? Casino carpet? No, the, psych- the a psychological <laughs> trap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> Craig Psychological Trap Wasson. So let's get back in into the movie now that we've established that Craig. Now is, that this probably nice man who's never done anything no, to any of us. He, he probably does a lot of things for charity in his local community. And here we are disparaging his name. He can't help it if he's vanilla pudding shaped in the, into you know, the vague form of a man. We, we, we can't help how we are, Patrick. This is true. He does look like Doe dressed like a stand-up comic on Star Search. Very true. But you can't help certain things. Let's begin at the begin, and that is the title card for this, which uh, has three different fonts, two different color palettes, and one membership card to graphic design is my passion. As much as I found... Freddy's revenge disorienting. I think I find dream warriors even more so. Why do the words dream and warriors merge? What is that supposed to communicate? The warriors are entering the dream. Oh, yeah, okay. So let's start a crafting. Uh, We have uh, Kristen played by the aforementioned Patricia Arquette. Uh, For those playing along at home, yes, Kristen's wallpaper is strikingly similar to Meryl's parents' room from part two, but it's not nearly as green to be an actual exact match. And if you're asking, yes, I did put up screen grabs of both of them side to side and ask two different people, is this the same wallpaper? Because I'm an obsessive loser. <laughs> yeah, this is a, this is an interesting take on what a which she's supposed to be 16, maybe a 16 year old girl's bedroom would look like it, it very much has the sort of, it's got that very eighties plastic and, and metal trim headboard. Um, it's got no artwork that I can see. It's like, it, it looks very much like a, like an econo lodge room. 
the entire house is very uh, curiously decorated, but by that's supposed to project that she comes from a well-to-do family and a well-to-do family does not want her to uh, express her individuality. I guess is what we're supposed to get. Also in the credits, it says special appearance by John Saxon. Uh, I hate to break it to you people. Every appearance by John Saxon is special. He's <laughs> wearing right. he's wearing his outside hair. Can I say also that I really appreciate the even though they're in it for about twelve seconds each that they gave they gave beginning of the movie credits to Dick Cavett and Jaja Gabor. When Becky saw Jaja Gabor was in this, <laughs> she had seen it. You know when she was a teen, um, she was. The fuck, Jaja Gabor is in this? I'm like, it'll make sense ish at the she, time. She's, she's she in it. Up. She's in it about as long as she's in the Naked Gun. <laughs> Better performance here or Naked Gun? Gina, go. Oh, at the Naked Gun. I mean, you know, it's it's very self referential, and no one under the age of forty is going to get the reference. But <laughs> uh, Steph, what do you you need to weigh in? What do you think? Oh, I'm not sure that I've seen Naked Gun. I've seen parts of one of them as a kid. As a kid. As a kid? I'm sorry. I need to step out of my sarcophagus. Uh, Now can I leave the podcast? (laughs) Nope. You're locked in here with me and Jaina. You're you're stuck in here at old people's night. Luckily, we have tapioca more than you could ever possibly want. <laughs> Two quick things. Uh, Whoa, wait, Craig oh. Wa- Wasson's here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise guest. Wow. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> Stand back, uh, because if you're looking too closely, you'll you you won't see him at all. Um, here's a couple things. Uh, uh, very quickly, Kristen's pajamas change as she's creating this paper mache confection. So obviously they decided to put her in different pajamas in between the second and the first unit. And the second has to do with the music of one Angelo Badalamenti. So Steph, you're, you're more of a connoisseur of film. You are one of those people who loves all films it's 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 a defining trait you dig cinema what is the great angelo badalamenti uh soundtrack and is this the exact opposite of that because it sounds like he just let his cat walk on a casio for a while yeah it's it's hard to follow david lynch with maybe the third in a teenage horror movie franchise. And I say that with love. You know, I I think you have those passion projects where you work closely with the director and it just lights everything on fire. And Mm -hmm. it's almost like it's creating itself when it comes out of your fingers. And then I, 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 sometimes it's like, Oh, one more payment and I got the vacation home. Yeah, (laughs) I I could put that together for you guys. Easy. Like it won't be obnoxious. It'll be a little spooky. Don't worry about it. It's like he's playing it live and kind of gets distracted by what's on TV. The (laughs) song that's coming out of the radio is called Quiet Cool, which accurately describes at least one attribute of it. Spoiler alert. Isn't that a keyboard setting? Uh, like quiet, cool. quiet cool i think it's also an air conditioner brand <laughs> i think so um during the construction of nancy's house and uh, paper mache and popsicle sticks 
Uh, we see that Kristen's beat the rock by 32 years with that. Let's eat dry Folgers crystals right out of the tin with a spoon bit. I don't uh, think that would work. Well, she washed it down diet Coke. Yeah. I mean, it's like pop rocks and Pepsi, right? I was wondering about that. <laughs> what would that sensation be like? <laughs> Probably wonderful. <laughs> Probably the best. She doesn't seem particularly pleased, which is interesting because when she actually puts it in her mouth, nothing's in the spoon. It's the magic of cinema. Or as I used to call it at the Universal Studios Hollywood theme park, Cinemagic. <laughs> did you did you have like a hand gesture? Yeah. Like oh, did you like did me? you like kind of kind of like twiddle your fingers? Cinemagic. Gina. The rainbow. <laughs> Yes. Starfield, the more you know, ba-doop, boop, boop. Yes. I, now, it's weird because Gina and I have been doing this for nearly three years, but we've never actually met physically. So she doesn't see me talk, and I'm constantly using my hands, just constantly. And it couldn't have been worse when I was on stage three to four times a day at Cinemagic. <laughs> People loved it. And by loved it, I mean they were happy to be in air conditioning. Um, into this room walks the sworn enemy of DC's Hawkman, or at least that's how she dresses. She's Elaine Parker, Kristen's mom, uh, and she is dressed like she fell into a Mylar balloon factory and then skinned the murder of crows that lifted her out and made it into a shawl. <laughs> Is she actually the worst Elm Street parent yet up until five or up until four or five? I mean, this is the real theme of it. I don't know that we necessarily get a. Yeah, we do. We get horrible parents in part two. I mean, that guy tells Jesse, like, how did you make this bird explode? Are you on drugs? He doesn't ex <laughs> understand how birds explode or how drugs work. <laughs> well, that's the running theme of the series is failure of the parents. Yes. Um, yeah, these parents. Be it fashion these, choices or. Yeah, everybody's a kind of sleazy Bird? single single mom with bad taste in men. And, <laughs> and, can scare my new boyfriend away. <laughs> yeah. You just want attention. And, and you know, the, the daughter, you know, pretty seriously cuts her wrist and, you know, she's always like this. <laughs> I gotta get home to my new boyfriend. He wants bourbon and he doesn't know where it's located. <laughs> <laughs> He'll be wandering all night if I don't get back right away. I left him a series of notes, but he can't read. He, he's just gonna keep opening and closing the liquor cabinet over and over and over again. <laughs> anyway, enjoy your paper mache at 3 a.m. Bye. Who cares about your stupid nightmares? <laughs> <laughs> Stop trying to pull focus from my bourbon location. Can we do the rest of the podcast in these voices? I think that would be wonderful. <laughs> Patrick, so Patrick, typical, Patrick, Patrick's phone yes. cord just rupture at some point. He's like, <laughs> <laughs> um, the one of the things that I think this does very well that kind of fell off in part two is I think it's rather visually inventive. There's a lot that I like apart about part two, but I don't think it carries on sort of Craven's ability to make sort of magical realism with camera tricks and, and stuff like that. And her falling asleep 
in her own bed and then waking up almost in the same shot with outside of the now dilapidated 1428 Elm Street is one of the first introductions to how much better this film is directed with a visual eye. Oh yeah, this is this is some good shit. This the, this whole movie I'm like, "Oh, <laughs> this actually they got a budget now." Okay? Yes, that I think it also helps tremendously. It's like, "Oh, we're going to make some money. We're going to put a little bit more money behind." It. I mean, it's, there's still not this this does not have the fly or aliens's budget, but they did very well. And so, like usual when you're dropped into Freddy World, you meet the uh dead girl jump rope team. There was, no, no, nope, there was a little boy there. I know they they title lined this thing. Now they've got boys in it. Listen, I want to see dead girls <laughs> in Dream World. That's what I've been coming to expect. I want eight year old girls jumping rope for eternity, saying this nursery rhyme. I don't want boys and bow ties and and bowl haircuts. I got one of those at the house. So you just want the greatest hits. You don't want to hear their new stuff. That's right. That's right. Here's a here's a cut from our new album, and then there's a boy, a ghost boy, jumping <laughs> rope. Fuck off! I'm going to get a beer. Oh boy, I I sound very angry in this episode. Um, also, it's Craig Wasson. He just it's has Craig Wasson. He, he, he just has that kind of face. He's like, I don't know why. I just I don't like your face. <laughs> well, we have to raise our performance and emotions to make up for what he didn't bring to the table. <laughs> Sucking emotion out of every room and set he is placed in front of because I don't, he doesn't walk a lot in this. I mean, he starts off walking, but he spends a lot of time in the movie just seated. And I think that's for the best. Never follow a girl on a tricycle into an abandoned home. That's like rule. It's not in the top 10 but it's up there. It's definitely in the top 100. Just don't right. do it, kids. Right after, don't follow a hippie to a second location kind of thing. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Kristen uh, goes down into 1428 uh, Elm Street's basement, and I was very excited, hoping that the dogs playing pool painting was still down there. Unfortunately, it is not. It has been replaced by chairs, nailed to a wall for reasons. I'm not sure why chairs are on the wall. Chairs are on walls. Uh, Paintings are on floors. Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. I think that's how it goes. And and vaguely creepy little girls in party dresses. This is uh, where he takes us. Is where Ghost Girl in yellow yeah. dress. Yeah, is this the first? Is this the first time that they have you know basically came around and said that the little girls playing jump rope are supposed to be his victims? Because I, I I always just got the impression that they were just something kind of you know spooky and unsettling. I kind of assumed that they were connected or a signal of his dreams. But yes, I this is the first time any one of them has talked. I mean that one talks in part two but in his sister's voice so it's not really a ghost girl well i was just uh, i was just thinking you know that's why they have boys now too oh yeah because he's indiscriminate uh and you have to be when you kill 20 plus children and can't be convicted in court 
because because as as we've already established, the the police are incompetent, and thus probably the local court system is equally incompetent. I don't think the fire department is worth a damn. I think we've established that one as they were able to light this motherfucker on fire and then wait for the fire to stop so they could pick up his bones and move it like a hippie to a second location. <laughs> The uh, boiler or furnace uh, in 1428 Elm Street has apparently been taking the same steroids that Jason did in between two and three uh, because it's demonstrably larger. And now it runs on bones and small skulls. You like to see upward mobility, though. (laughs) That's right. Dare to dream. You, too, can be fuel if you are the skeleton of a small murdered child. I understand completely why Patricia Arquette isn't running with a real little girl in her arms. But the prop uh, does not appear to be very realistic. It looks like she is sprinting away with uh, Willie Tyler's Lester uh, dressed in drag. There's not a lot of weight there. Who besides me is going to understand that reference, Patrick? <laughs> I was going to say it made me think like she was drawing with a pogo stick, but I feel like your reference is probably better. <laughs> I, I was just going to—I was just going to say a scarecrow with a wig on it. I—I <laughs> I, I don't have, have I mentioned on on the podcast. I, I know I have just you know on social media that how much I love obvious dummies in in yes. in movies. Oh, yeah. I, I just mm-hmm. love them. And I could tell the exact moment when it switched over from an actual little girl to to a dummy. And that's about when she takes one step and then <laughs> and then and it floats halfway like up her arm. Yeah. And then you could just see the cameraman. They, they say, cut. OK, little girl, you know, go, you know, go back to the trailer. You know, here, you know, take this sack of flour with a wig on it. I also think it doesn't help when she knocks the doll's head into an object and it's like, ah, oh, fuck that. It keeps running. Do you think maybe they tried it with a real little actress and that happened and they're like, whoo, insurance ain't gonna allow this. Give us that kid. <laughs> Give us the stunt doll. Um, I think running in chocolate pudding in a hallway with a real little girl would have been a difficult task for anyone. Nevertheless, Patricia Arquette when she was nigh 18 or 19 years old. So uh, I, I get it. In your opinion, which is more realistic, oatmeal stairs or pudding hallway? Realistic in what kind of way? I mean, realistic to how you view dreams where you're running and you oh, can't move okay. forward. Okay. I think they're both pretty good interpretations, uh, but I would say like the sludgy is a little more sludgy than pudding to me, but that hallway, especially holding a child, because I think that adds a whole other level of desperation to it because you're not just worried about your own life now you gotta look after this kid mm-hmm. it's like the worst sitcom ever yeah plus they'll stick to you the <laughs> stairs seem to slip off pretty easily almost like it was the inside of a twinkie i feel like that'd be easier to get <laughs> off afterwards oh for sure so gina my question to you and i we we've uh we've heard stephanie's answer but you didn't uh, so this is perfect which is more realistic to the phenomenon of running in your dreams but staying in place? Oatmeal stairs or pudding hallway? I had had a, a somewhat more uh, grotesque term for that. I, I looked like she was staying in a vat of diarrhea. <laughs> 
so which is more realistic to running in place in a dream? Uh, that of diarrhea or pudding or, or oatmeal stairs? Uh, oatmeal stairs, because they're, they're more, I mean, obviously it was supposed to be cement. It didn't look like cement, but but I'm assuming that was the the uh, the effect they were going for. And, uh, you know, being being a veteran of very vivid nightmares, you know, definitely the not be able to run is is, is a, a common thread. I've never dreamt that I was stuck in a pool of diarrhea, though. Oh, phew. fingers crossed. You never know. You go to sleep every <laughs> night. So this might put the suggestion in your head. Here, but for the grace <laughs> of God, <laughs> if that happens, you're going to get an angry text message from me in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> you son of a bitch. I will keep my phone charged and ready. Okay. Um, before we go any further in this hallway, though, I my favorite favorite part of this section uh, occurred, and that is when Robert England tries to make the corner of this hallway and skids to a stop and kind of goes too far over one foot. <laughs> it's not scary. Again, when Jason slips on the floor, that takes away from his scariness. When Freddy kind of trips because he can't corner well, that also removes some of the <laughs> scary element. You might want to try for a take two. That's all I'm saying. He's like a little kid kind of circling the corner on Christmas morning. He's like my Labradoodle, who's who has big poodle legs. He's built for speed. He does not corner well. Like this is your domain, man. Learn yeah. the ins and outs. Uh, he should be able to the fucking left, the right. Yeah, like do whatever you want. Like run up the wall. Like you're an Inception. Make it happen. Now this boiler room of hung teens. Oh, I'm sorry. How does this <laughs> film sound dirtier than part two? There's a there's a room full of hung teens. Uh, less. <laughs> um. Uh, we have uh, Willie Tyler's Lester is revealed to be a burned skull in a party dress. This wakes Kristen up and then she goes to douse her face in water as we all do in the middle of the night. Just wet our face and other Paul F. Tompkin bits. And this is the most Craven-like sequence in this. This feels like straight like an outtake of the first film that the the faucet grows into hands one grabbing her her wrist and the other one becoming a freddy glove and slicing her open like it's cool it's just fucking cool such a great gag it's great and and the pipes look like uh skeleton arms yeah arm bone that was cool but right before that we get our second freddy slash groucho mirror routine which is now a micro trend. So in 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 uh, Friday the Thirteenth, we had uh, get bumped, but now we have Freddy in mirror, and I think we're going to have to come up with some sort of micro trend name for this, so that we can track it over the course of all the films. We maybe maybe we need to email Amy because get bumped was the the best way to describe it. So. <laughs> My favorite part of Kristen's bathroom is the fish motif on the walls. Very classy. Very classy. Very, very evocative classy. of water. It's very true. <laughs> um, her mom walks in. She has changed outfits into a black and green trimmed uh, bathrobe because she was doing it. And, it fi- and we find that Kristen appears to have been forced by Freddie to slash her own wrists with a razor blade 
And that is when we cut to Weston Hills Psychiatric Hospital for teens who wanted to commit suicide good and do other things good. <laughs> uh, we're introduced to Dr. Neil Gordon, played by Craig Wasson, who wanders about the movie in an ever-expanding shade of gray clothing. And of course, he's talking to Max, played by the person who should have been cast as Dr. Neil Gordon, Lawrence Larry Fishburne. <laughs> if those two people walk into a room, you cast Lawrence Fishburne as the doctor, or in this movie, the lead character. But no. It, it is, I don't... How do you think they felt about Craig behind the scenes? Because they literally put him next to like a charisma tsunami. <laughs> <laughs> but he is, he's, he is lost in the entire film. I mean, literally everyone else in the movie has more charisma than him, including several people in that Thai restaurant. And they're not really acting. The, the scarecrow that, that Kristen carries around has, has more charisma than Neil Several has. of those hung teens could have gone toe-to-toe with Craig Wasson. Over a very quick succession, we uh, get to meet a couple of the people who are in this facility, starting with Taryn, played by Jennifer Rubin. She would go on to sort of specialize in this role, basically repeating it in Bad Dreams and... Uh, we can tell she's troubled because she's biting her nails and wearing a Dawkins t-shirt. Dawkins comes up a lot in this uh, in, in in this entry in the series. Yeah, I don't want to spoil it, but the lyrics to Dawkins' "Dream Warriors" make no fucking sense. <laughs> dream warriors don't want to dream no more. Wait, wait, why are those two things connected? <laughs> like, at no point does anything he's saying connect to dream warriors. And then he's like, I don't want to dream anymore. I'm a warrior in that dream, I guess. Is that a bad thing? Someone write a flowchart of how this Dawkins song works. Uh, and then we meet Jennifer, a girl who burns herself with cigarettes. And Will, who is a guy, I guess. And then Kincaid, who is locked in the quiet room, yet another piece of excellent uh, set design. I love that quiet room. It feels like you're shut in there with whatever person happens to be in there. It's, again, this movie is really well set decorated. And I, I really like this setup of just giving us a taste of all the characters. And that's a great way to kind of show his isolation, how he keeps getting yanked out of the group. Yeah, we, we get a dynamic pretty quickly. They, they show they don't have to tell, although we will be all these people again in the group sequence. So we also get to tell. Where, where, where somehow Neil stops himself from taking his chair and turning it around, sitting in it backwards. <laughs> Oh, that's a missed opportunity. Because he <laughs> definitely looks like the type of guy who says, you know, come on, let's, you know, let's just talk about things. Let's just rap, man. <laughs> let's, let's get real. Let's just get in touch with our feelings. It's okay. Don't don't look at the weird beige outfit. I'm I'm one of you. I'm, I've been there. I'm, I'm come your, on, I'm kids. I'm your friend. I'm your friend. <laughs> so you found yourself in a psychiatric facility. <laughs> <laughs> then we meet Dr. Sims who is basically our non-supernatural villain of the film. Neil asks about a new staff member 
And Sims replies uh, with the only positive line that she delivers in the entire thing. And that is she's doing innovative work in pattern nightmares. So that's the setup. When we meet this mysterious person who walks into the film a little bit later on, we know that she has been doing, quote, innovative work in pattern nightmares. I want everyone to keep that in mind because anytime she mentions dreams or nightmares, from the time she enters the film, they're all like, fuck nightmares. Dreams suck. They, they are completely dismiss anything that she has to say. <laughs> your dreams are your manifestations of your of your guilt over masturbating or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> She's a grad school superstar in everything. And that's how she gets treated. <laughs> I mean, why bring her on board at all? All right, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get to it. In the midst of this, Kristen is admitted to the facility uh, and immediately wins over the entire audience by kicking Craig Wasson in the balls. <laughs> but then loses it somewhat when she cuts Larry Fishburne, which is not a good, like you want, like I love you already. And then you cut Larry Fishburne. Like, don't do that. One is great. Like, go out on a high note. Yeah, she's a loose cannon, man. <laughs> You'll fall in love, but she'll burn you for it. (laughs) She's, uh, as the kids say, cute but psycho, if uh, I remember what my child likes to listen to. Kristen kind of gets lost uh, reciting the Freddy nursery rhyme, but that ends when in walks Nancy Thompson. That's right. She's back in town, followed quickly by all of her hair. Can, Can we talk about the hair? If you thought that she, I, I know that we did a lot of, of you know, waxing poetic over her hair in, in part one, but she looks, I mean, it's, she looks like Loretta Lynn. I mean, it's just, it's, <laughs> it's so big and, and, and majestic. And she's got this perfectly placed white streak in it. And it's just like, I just want to reach and just touch it. You know, just, just, I, I gotta know, is it crunchy? Is it soft? Like, like, it's just, it's astonishing. I don't know how she can get through doors. <laughs> it is so voluminous. It is so luxurious. It is everything I've ever wanted in a hairdo and will never have. It's amazing. Also, she's dressed like she's just a cast member of the birds. Someone decided <laughs> that she is going to dress like she was in an Alfred Hitchcock film that everyone forgot was being filmed on the studio just on the other side of the lot. And she's wandered into this movie. It's pretty amazing. I, I think the direction for her was pencil skirt and some sort of crazy fucking jacket. Go! And she just rips through this entire movie. It's great to have Nancy back. I was going to say, you know what? That outfit totally works for me. It, it is it, de- it is yeah. definitely an improvement over her Christian camp counselor outfits from part one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's her grown up outfit. Mm-hmm. But I am nuts about that gray streak. Yeah. I have coveted that thing for so long at this point. She wears it really that well. bride of frankenstein super focus <laughs> as, as soon as Kristen is satiated by the uh, acceptance by another human being that what she's dreaming about is something someone else has heard about she's like oh i can rest and they, they manage to subdue her and this so this scene then 
starts a, a, a two-hander uh, pattern between Neil and Nancy, where everything seems to play more like a meet-cute than just two colleagues discussing mental health issues of their patients. The movie really wants you to have these two do it. And I don't. Good luck, movie. Well, how old can, I mean, this is supposed to be, is, is this real time? So is this like three years after the events of Nightmare on Elm Street? Because that would make Nancy like 19. Well, they, they called her a grad school superstar. So I was guessing maybe around 26. Yeah. Weirdly enough, the movie places it at the same distance as part two, which I don't think they intended. I'm wondering it's five years past when part two happened, which would make more sense because she's sort of a sophomore junior in the original film. And this would be after grad school. So, yeah, it would place her in that 26, 27 age range. But the way they say it, it sounds like five years ago this happened. And it's like, well, wait a second. So this like happened two seconds after part two. Do we have another... Friday the 13th, part two, part three, part four situation here. I, I don't know. Uh, I'm sure someone has done a chart online I can reference. Yeah, we'll we'll wait while you find the chart. <laughs> I cannot think past this. <laughs> Did well, you notice, though, when they were talking and they were sitting on a bench in a park, he almost put his hand on her, but then he didn't. He And I feel like that should have been cut or something. <laughs> I'm like, why'd he almost put his arm around her? Uh, he, and then I, he didn't. Yeah, that's why it plays like a romantic comedy or or a drama where they're two colleagues who fall into bed together. It's super weird. But he puts his hands on her all throughout the movie. And Dr. Sims, he touches her several times. Like, he's very handsy for a doctor. You shouldn't be touching that many people. Well, you know, in order to get in touch with your emotions, he has to touch you. Who's that in the distance, you ask? Why, it's Ghost Nun, the ghost of backstories past. But don't focus on her too much, because as soon as you see her, she's gone. We'll get to that nun later. Don't worry about it. Now, as Max walks Nancy around the floor, he offers her he offers her a temporary office with a very special feature, and that is a water fountain. And I really wish my office had a, had a water fountain in it. That's great. You don't have to go anywhere for water. You just <laughs> lean back in your chair and take a sip. Yeah, it's a nice feature. Yes. Yeah, I want to I want to do that, but I want to have like a really long crazy straw and just kind of like <laughs> like turn my head just have this like very elaborate crazy straw just stretching all the way across the room from my desk. Let's make that happen. We have the technology like the bionic man. Why can't we have straws attached to water fountains in our office? Flying cars. We're introduced to Philip uh, for the first time who has the terrible mental health condition of, um, let me check my notes, sleepwalking. Definitely something you need to be hospitalized for. He also has a sweet Planet Earth poster on the wall, I guess just to antagonize the Flat Earth crowd. In terms of the hair game, Philip is writing a distant but very respectable number two to Nancy. Yeah, he's it's got very some, floppy. He's got some excellent hair, and the fact that it is gone relatively early in the movie is is a tragedy. Also, like he makes he makes, uh, and of course this is tragically relevant. He makes uh, marionettes 
and mm-hmm. they comment on it and he says oh i could have done a nice roll, but they won't let me have any knives what the what did he make that that marionette out of because it looks professional <laughs> yeah i mean how did it look kind of looks like uh don't tape. Have knives. yeah I, I mean you would he would at least need scissors for a lot of that work like how did he fashion that space helmet did, did, was that did just he, lying did around? Did he like make him out of newspaper? <laughs> did he put them together with newspapers and spit? Here's the thing, Steph. Once upon a time, I met a woman in New Jersey who would make dolls out of her own hair, and she would put she would use it as stuffing. So you didn't see the hair; only it kind of poked out through the cotton that she would sew it into. So she did this so often that she was practically bald when I met her, and when I asked. Um, why don't you just use stuffing? Uh, she said, well, no, now they're a part of me. Oh, and goodness. A part of me died that day and has never come back. So well, is Philip using sounds, his sounds, own hair like to New, stuff the marionettes? That, that sounds like New Jersey. That That's a very New Jersey story. That is very dark. Hey, did you guys notice he kind of sounds like Corey Feldman? <laughs> Oh yeah, he's I got a very that. much got a, a, a teen beat. He's got a very much got a teen beat kind of look about him, and and if he's using his hair just to to make these marionettes, I mean, just imagine what his hair was like before. <laughs> Not that yeah. it has to be a point of pride. It's too perfectly fluffy. I, I don't think you'd risk his hair on anything like that. Maybe he finds pillows people aren't paying attention to or something. <laughs> Well, these pillows aren't being monitored. They'll be perfect for my puppets. How much? How much are people monitoring pillows in a psychiatric facility? This is. I've never worked at one. I don't know. Uh, we'd have to ask a professional. Yeah, you guys should really bring someone. In. <laughs> this is so, oh god, this is the problem with this. Like, it really feels wrong to make fun like the movie did this to us we didn't decide to do this like like part five we didn't decide to make fun of those kids they put them in that facility and then said hey uh podcast that makes fun of horror movie victims uh here here's a bunch of people (laughs) that are unfortunate in life now make fun of them for the weird clothes they wear and we did we, well, we did. Would it make you feel any better if I told you it's not a documentary and they're actually actors on a set well, working off a script? What, 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 what? Uh, okay. I'm going to have to sit down. Wait a second. I'm already sitting down. This, this is a Try lot. standing up. Okay. <laughs> now it's not working. I'm sitting back down. Okay. That was a bit of radio work for me. Thank you, everyone. Good, good stuff. <laughs> Uh, I love it when Stephanie Crawford goes, eh, okay. Um, uh, we meet Kincaid who's full of sass and either has several magazine photos of bodybuilders or wrestlers. I can't, t- it would make more sense for them to be wrestlers, but we're never close enough for me to tell. Uh, he also has a couple photos of run DMC. So he has good taste in music. Then Ma- uh, Max and Nancy move along. And we get to meet Joey. Uh, He's the shy one of the group. And he also, in this scene and the scene alone, has a teardrop tattoo. Was he in a gang initiation? 
Did he kill a dude in prison? You can't have that unless you kill someone. Right. So who did Joey kill to land himself in this facility? And why does it disinum appear the next time we see him? Who decided to give him a teardrop tattoo? This is nuts. This child, this, I, I mean, he looks like the kid from Real Genius. And you're telling me he shanked the guy in juvie some, at some point? From debate team to... <laughs> well, he would have been terrible. Oh, yes, he was in debate. killer. That's right. Yes. That's right. He was yeah, in said, was on the bait, debate team, but <laughs> now we call him the baby face quiet killer. <laughs> uh, Joey's infatuated with a nurse named Marcy, who the filmmakers would have you believe is both incapable of picking up towels or walking herself to Seaward. Um, so that's a solid look movie. Way to go. She needs to be escorted and helped everywhere. Okay, we lost Gina. <laughs> In the, it's been no time for our audience, but for us, we've been trying desperately to get Gina back, who's been, uh, she's gone into some sort of time warp. But we must move along, unfortunately, due to time frames and my insane uh, work schedule. So let's cut to the Parker residency. Uh, And Nancy is grilling Elaine uh, like the daughter of a police captain is wont to do. So points for using her background to move the plot forward. Uh, In the background of this particular scene, there appears to be some kind of presentation on an easel. Um, and then some kind of lame rich people uh, artwork. It's not exactly a, a winner. <laughs> Background. I think no, it's are- very generic rich people with an issue going on, kind of uh, maison. <laughs> <laughs> um, the one thing I was very uh, intrigued by is Elaine's outfit. Uh, which looks like she has robbed uh, Chico's. Um, she has very chunky jewelry and a turquoise bag dress belted in the middle that has mesh cutouts. I don't know what part of the Southwest she's celebrating, but she's celebrating the hell out of it. <laughs> Well, I grew up in New Mexico and Nevada, and I cannot help you out with any <laughs> of that. Um, the other thing is that Elaine has framed her headshot. Uh, so that's another micro trend. That is every Nightmare on Elm Street movie so far has featured a cast member's headshot in the background. Really? Yes. Um, oh, God. I hope they keep up with that. I hope so, too. There's one in the basement in part two, and there's one in Nancy's room uh, in the first <laughs> film. So, Yeah. It's uh, it's apparently a thing that they did. Um, and so uh, when uh, Elaine shouts for Teresa to bring down uh, Kristen's things, uh, Teresa is hiding, which I think is great for Teresa. She yeah, should I'm do proud that of her. Yeah. That is a good call. Don't don't fucking put up with this shit. Uh, Self-care, Teresa. <laughs> that's right. Nancy uh, says, don't worry. Um, I can find my way uh, to pick up the stuff. And so she goes upstairs and as she does, it appears that either the house is made of cinder blocks 
or Elaine has tiled the wall of her stairs and I can't decide which is weirder. You know, tile, you can kind of see that as like a bullshit rich people 80s I mean, micro trend. Um, <laughs> it, I'd say cement is probably a little stranger. Yeah, cement's super weird. I think it's because I watched Superstition and that movie, the house is made of cement. And you're like, why? Who, who would do that? That's a, that's a crazy thing. Um, but there is a window. So I don't know. The only uh, places that I've ever been with a tiled wall that isn't a shower is an Australian bar. So maybe your house, you know, doubles as an Australian bar because tiles easy to hose off. Sure. Why not? Paul Hogan was pretty hot in this time period, wasn't he? Uh, Well, yeah. I mean, certainly he ticks (laughs) off some boxes. Uh, I want upscale crocodile Dundee motif here. Just. Figure it out. If you like him leathery, he's right up in there. (laughs) And I'm not going to yuck your yum. Go for it. Um, So Nancy finds Kristen's shabby chic miniature of her childhood home. And then we cut back to Neil using computer. Uh, This is a very early computer. uh, And he types like my eight-year-old. And he's looking for information on the drug that Nancy is taking called Hypnosil. Uh, he's doing that on his computer on some sort of program that's connected to the internet. But when you look at the actual screen, uh, I would not have known this in 1987, but it's readily apparent now uh, that it's really just a word, word processor document because he's, yeah, there's like a little turtle and everything. <laughs> <laughs> he's on page three and he's already hit the H's. Something tells me this is not a very extensive document. Uh, Experimental, yes. <laughs> on the third page. Uh, once again, I think it's generous to call what Craig Wasson is doing here acting. Uh, his apartment is interesting. It's kind of a cascade of poo-colored browns, including a, a set of swinging saloon doors on the entryway to his kitchen, which feels very sad to me. Do you think maybe they're like, oh, hey, uh, we put swinging doors in here. Do you want plain or Western? <laughs> and he kind of half smiled to himself. He's like, you know what? Feeling a little kicky today. Let's go Western. His office is filled with <laughs> knickknacks, but I can't make hide nor hair out of them. I'd love to make uh, sense of it, but I can't. Um, and then in the midst of this, uh, we cut to Kristen falling asleep in her hospital room. And as soon as she closes her eyes, she reopens them to hear a noise. It turns out to be a riderless tricycle wheeling itself into her room with the tires soaked in blood. I like this. Yes, it's pretty, pretty damn effective. It, I love how the, uh, the tricycle melts, but it also sparks occasionally. So we can, we can add this, I guess, as a callback to Freddie's heat powers. From part two. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it also feels like it could be in prom night to Hello, Mary Lou. Yes. In that, like, rocking horse room a little bit. Oh, fuck horse. Uh, one of our <laughs> favorite uh, characters. I, I wish more films had fuck horse in them. But only, it can only be contained in uh, Hello, Mary Lou prom night two. 
The Cult of Mary Lou is growing. Everyone who hasn't watched that movie, go out and do it now. You will thank me. Uh, there's a pretty sweet uh, match cut here. Uh, when Kristen walks out into the hallway, all of a sudden the door of the dilapidated 1428 Elm Street closes behind her. I This is, again, a very sweet directorial magic trick that really works for me. Yeah, like I would say there's definitely a focus on these transitions. I think a lot of thought was put into the whole connection into waking life, dream life, because, you know, people are coming for Freddy, number one. Number two is the kills. How is he going to kill everybody? But three, how are they going to pull off the dreamscape, the nightmares? And I think that's one of the reasons why this one is so beloved. Um, Because, you know, we... (laughs) You throw some Craigs in there. There, there's some weak spots, but where it really, really counts is stuff that actually got butts in the seats. I think they really sold. They they do a lot with a little, and uh, I, I this is a return to form because part two is all about Freddie trying to come into the real world, and that's right. I think I uh, above everything else. I think that it's it, that's where it's that and the chemistry of, of of Meryl and Jesse um are its only sins like they they kind of they kind of forget what the plot is or how Freddy works in the third act and here it's a it's pretty solid although his power range seems to go all over the place for example this roasted pig gag uh seems to take a really long time for for minimal effect that that is one of the things where the filming uh crept into the movie because i guess that was an ordeal and they finally had to use a real pig and it was rotting and they hated doing it so i feel like they were just in the editing bay like no you leave it all that pig footage you don't know what it was like (laughs) and the camera takes a long time to swing around so a grip can swap that out um, they're relying a, a quite a bit on that fly buzzing sound effect. Um, but I think the greatest nightmare uh, in this uh, sequence is continuity because that's the living room. It's not the dining room. This is crazy. I know that I know a dining room from a living room. Come on movie. But do you? Uh, that's Ooh, true. I, maybe I don't. And that is the nightmare that I'm Uh, That's right. Someone who pays attention to architecture like you, all of a sudden they're switching rooms around. uh, Spooky stuff. Kristen uh, gets a uh, pre-frighteners treatment in the, uh, let's call it the library. Um, And this is uh, where we get the infamous Freddy penis snake. I love that penis snake. uh, It's great penis snake. Um, and if you're wondering, <laughs> well, wait a second, why is it called a penis snake? I mean, outside of like the shape of it and whatnot. Uh, originally, it was far pinker. And <laughs> when they saw it, they're like, oh, this, this. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a giant demon dick. That's a lot of dick. <laughs> and we already had a couple in part two. Maybe we want to branch out on how we represent Freddie. <laughs> uh, so they, they muted the color and they made it a lot more pussy green. Uh, so they went from that 
original boiled bacon look to something a little bit different. Uh, And when Kristen calls out, we get a bit of poltergeist other side voice uh, that calls out to Nancy. She stands up and then sort of faints and falls back into her Ikea chair. And she looks at that little house she made. Yes. And it almost seems like center her mentally. Yes. That's my destination. That is the connection (laughs) point. That is the nexus where they all meet, let's say. Uh, and so she falls back and threw her Ikea chair in, into Kristen's dream. Um, and uh, Nancy, as soon as she sees it, she's like, oh, fuck. But she's right back into action. <laughs> like, she doesn't wait. She's not, like, she sees what's, what's happening. happening. And she's like, here's some broken glass. I'm going to stab that penis snake in the eye. And she fucking does it <laughs> like a boss. It's pretty great. Just <laughs> rears back. I have to say, they they really got Robert's face down on that giant penis snake. When it says you, it really does. I wonder if they had him on mic just on set to get the timing correct. Because it's I believe perfect. it. It's, I'm sure he was there already. You true, know, yeah. used it. I mean, they're making him up for the days in between something or other. She doesn't take two seconds. She just runs over there and stabs that motherfucker in the eye. She does not wait. She doesn't hesitate. She just springs into action. Yeah. And then when he does rear back, she does see it's Freddy. It's like, shit. (laughs) Run. (laughs) Yeah. She gets scared second and reacts first. It's. That's why she's our. She's our ultimate final girl. That's absolutely true. Um, and then she some she already knows that Kristen was the link to the dream world. So she tells Kristen, we got to get out of this. <laughs> yeah. And her look, it was a little bit like Freddie's back and with a bigger budget. <laughs> uh, and I'm returning. This cannot go well. Um Then we uh, cut to the following day. Nancy brings in the paper mache 1428 Elm Street and confronts Kristen on her ability to drag other people into her dream. So we get a kind of a backstory. And then we go right into the group session. Now, in the group, we kind of meet some people that we we re-meet people, actually. Uh, first off, there's our D&D and Sully Jesse Raphael eyeglass enthusiast, Will, uh, who, uh, I guess, jumped off a building. That was his suicide attempt. Uh, then we have Jennifer, uh, who suffers from uh, self-harm and finger waves. So kind of a one-two punch there. Uh, <laughs> her hair... Tough times. Yeah. It listen, it wasn't a great era for hair out outside of Nancy Thompson. I never blame the kids. No. I really don't. Uh it's a shame that uh, Philip dies first because he is far and away one of the most interesting characters in the entire Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. He's fully aware of how crazy this concept is. He sounds strangely authoritative about it and the group's condition as a whole. And he's immediately shut down by Dr. Sims, who, by the way, brought in Nancy to explore the, quote, dreams of this group. And she's very quick to to just like 
We brought you here for dreams. I think it might be the dreams. Fuck you. This is this this is because they masturbate all the time. <laughs> Some people just like to argue. <laughs> That's right. Maybe they're just looking through case files like, ooh, I want to debate her. Bring her in. <laughs> Hot shot. We'll see about that. I like dreams in your mentions. This is why dreams suck. That's <laughs> Dr. Sims. Are you triggered? <laughs> Dreamer. <laughs> oh, the internet sucks. Cut to <laughs> Will and Joey's room where a hot threesome of Dungeon Master is happening. Um, yeah. Here's a, a wacky thing about Will and his condition. Uh, he ha- He's a paraplegic, um, which means he does not have the use of his lower limbs. Um, and yet, oddly, his socks are very dirty. So either he is in the bottom of his wheelchair is filthy or he puts uh, soil in the bottom of his shoes like a vampire puts <laughs> dirt from their grave in their coffin. Do you think wizards do that, too? He is the wizard. He master. is the wizard. Master. It might be a wizard master thing. And I wouldn't know. So if you're a wizard master <laughs> expert, just like, you know, hit us up on the tweets. Um, Cut to. One of the most depressing dates I have ever seen in my Mm. entire life as Craig (laughs) Wasson tries to introduce Nancy to the exotic allure of the only Thai food restaurant in town. It's the best. It's the only. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Why are they now dating it? Why? Why can't she be alone? Why does he have to escort her everywhere? Why are they having a business meeting in a Thai food restaurant? Yeah, because it's really not played off that she's interested in him. And he's not, you know, he never has that moment where he reaches over. And he's like, you know, you're a very beautiful woman, Ms. Thompson, or anything like yeah. that. But you do feel like she's probably like had a long day and she's like, oh, just going to get some takeout. I'm going to look over these files. Going to have some Dick Cavett on in the background. <laughs> It'll be great. And he's like, you know what? I know a great place to get some dinner. How about we talk about these kids? Oh, shit. All right. And she, she's a polite person. So she's like, uh, okay. I guess I'll go. I guess I'll fiddle with these chopsticks as he subtly can- tries to touch my knee under the table. <sighs> Tell you how my mom died in her sleep. And, uh, yeah, let's uh, let's discuss this <laughs> phenomenon of Nancy's mom dying in her sleep because in the last film we were told that she committed suicide. Now we've had two different versions of this story. When we all saw with our own eyes that a a flaming man tried to strangle her to death, and then when a blanket was placed over her and then removed. Her burnt husk was lowered into a phantasm pit. So that is, quote unquote, dying in your sleep. I mean, maybe if you pass out before you actually die. (laughs) Her skeleton reaches up. Her skeleton reaches up. That's not See, dying that's in your sleep. Sp- that's spooky for the family, though. <laughs> like you don't, you don't want to read that in the newspaper. Come on, <laughs> this di- die peacefully. I mean, like ah, she probably got really drunk and fell asleep and looked 
Yeah. Dreamt dreams of Robert Altman movie. <laughs> oh my God. I love that character. All right. So yeah. Um, the, there's a reason why Nancy was bought into this department. She's the dream expert. And again, at this Thai restaurant, she's like, okay, logically you're saying that the dreams don't matter, but they're fixated on the dreams. Then eliminate the dreams from the equation and start solving their other problems, which to me sounds rather logical. And everyone goes, fuck that. What do you know? Dream expert. (laughs) They might as well be old British men. (laughs) Oh, if Craig Wasson could be an old British man, this movie would might surpass the original. Yeah, we we really. Oh man, what if they had like a Donald Pleasance in that role instead? Oh, alone in the dark, Donald oh, Pleasance yes. smoking <laughs> weed out of a pipe and just offering <laughs> it to other people. But then, but then he they wouldn't be able to sell him saying preposterous. He'd be like, "Yes, hypnosis. <laughs> Let's do some crazy shit. Let's get that in the bloodstream." <laughs> um. So up on Philip's wall, when we return to the facility, are his marionettes, of course, but also a Bruce Springsteen poster, album covers for both Quiet Riot and Ozzy Osbourne, and maybe a Bruce Dickinson? I'm not sure. It kind of looks like Bruce Dickinson. That's all I'll say. Um, But this is all prelude to Philip's death scene. Now, we've been told that he was a sleepwalker before. So now when Freddie transforms into one of these marionettes and grows at the foot of his bed and uses his own muscles and tendons as wires to make him walk. This is, this is grade a nightmare fuel. Literally. It's super grody, very (laughs) visceral. I mean, there's something about it. Like, hand torture and face torture are the two things that really get to me. And this is a kind of extension of that. It's just, it's, you can understand how painful that might be. And he's able to convey that on camera. Like they really try to give him this. He sells the fuck out of it. It's like something out of a Hellraiser movie. It is really effective. Uh, maybe one of my favorites in, in the entire franchise, just as a what gets to me. <clears throat> no, because my thing is veins. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't see anything with veins. I When I get my blood taken, I, I tell them I pass out. So I have to lay down and I still pass out and fall off the bed every oh, single no. time. Oh, it, no, it's like an ordeal. <laughs> I, I don't like to look at veins. I don't like watching I can watch people get their faces ripped off, but if they're pushing a fake needle against someone's skin where a vein is, I'm like, no. So this scene, I I want I want you guys to feel special because I watched it. I have always looked away. I take little glances, yipe, literally yipe, and look away again. Oh wow. Well, Thank you. And it's done so well because it's slow. Yes. He, it is like you feel the weight, the agony on his face. And they do a close up of, of everything getting yanked out of his feet. Mm-hmm. And it's like that's that steak in poltergeist <laughs> where like the maggots, and everything come out. It's just 
I'm squeezing my foot right now. <laughs> about it. And right before then, it's uh, one of his puppets turning into Freddy Krueger using his own claws to get rid of the strings. Like it's this kind of cute, inventive little scene with like little clay Freddy kind of yeah. strolling up to the bed. <laughs> Um, so it's like, oh, this is like a like a whimsical one. No, no. A, a buffer, I guess. But oh my god! Yeah, it starts off as a full moon movie, and it and it ends <laughs> yeah. full of fucking. Uh, and then it's like martyrs. It's just yeah. <laughs> um, and of course, because he sleepwalks, no one pays attention to this. Right. The- Kincaid's like, hey, wake up. Yeah. He does. He's like, all right, have a nice stroll, asshole. <laughs> um, there are only <laughs> two downsides to this sequence. Okay. The first is Philip's boxers, which don't do his figure much favors. Uh, he looks <laughs> like he is a small child in those uh, pajamas that you can undo the seat of. And okay, but I feel like boxer briefs would be distractingly sexy. That's I just wish the boxers were because he's going to be on camera. Just put him in a pair of boxers that don't look like that. <laughs> okay, fair, fair note, fair note. The other has to do with Freddy's power set. We've seen Freddy mm-hmm. pass through objects uh, as he is a dream person. We've also seen Freddy manipulate real world objects, whether that be balls or um, uh, bed sheets to strangle people or balls, um, balls and balls. So that's established, but we've never watched a real person pass through a solid object because he's been dreaming with Freddy and I find that part confusing. Right. And Kristen isn't involved with this with like her power. So it it pretty much is like a regular kid dealing with a regular quote unquote regular Freddy encounter. Yes. This is much. And more yeah, he just magic one. magics him through the doors to get him outside. Yeah. I, That's a good point. I, I didn't notice it until this time. I think it's a fix for them because they're, they would naturally be locked in at night. But for me, it would be as simple as Freddie was able to manipulate, manipulate the lock and the door just opens. Yeah. And I would have accepted that just fine. I don't see the advantage of him walking through a door like he's a ghost. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that one. That's one where you're like, ooh, I'm taken out of the reality of this situation a little bit. Yes, because after that, you get this really cool image of Freddy being the puppet master, manipulating uh, Philip by his tendon strings and then cutting them off and him falling to his death. It's a great shot. Yeah, he's like twice the size of the building. It's not one of those things where you're like, ooh, this is not a great... um, you know, effect job because of the time period. It looks pretty flawless even now. Yes, they they did the match cut on this, whatever process they put it through, they got super lucky because it it looks, you can tell the tendons are animated, but it's not distracting to me. Um, It's just uh, fantastic, that scene. And that's where we must leave it for now. Uh, we will return to group next week. Uh, I sure wish uh, we could have heard Gina's thoughts on the subject, but her internet quit. So before we go, 
Um, hey, uh, tell everyone, Stephanie, where they can find your stuff on these here internets. Um, I always just say Twitter. I'm Scrawfish. I do have my blog linked right in the bio. That's every podcast I'm on, everything I write, just one place. And then you can get all my jokes and the funny, funny cat pictures and what have you. You, all in one place. It's you great. are a delightful Twitter presence. Oh, I, I think you're fabulous on there. And I love your cinepositivity. I think <laughs> there are a lot of people amongst the horrorati and film Twitter that like to complain and like to berate. But I always feel love whenever you're talking about whatever film you're talking about. I can tell it's from a genuine place. It just beams off of you. And I, I think that's a, a wonderful thing for the world to have. Oh, well, gosh, thank you. And if people haven't <laughs> uh, read your stuff on Dread Central, you, you're going through all the Tales from the Crypt episodes. They absolutely should. It's uh, fantastic work. And, and I've been able to, to find the ones I love again. And I think you're a great writer. People should check it out. Uh, and that pretty much does it for us. Um, until for myself and for uh, Stephanie and for the person who isn't here, Gina. Uh, bye bye, everybody. Bye. Kill by Kill is produced by We Write Good and is intended for entertainment purposes only. A Nightmare on Elm Street is owned by New Line Cinema. No infringement is intended. Kill by Kill's logos were created by Josh Hollis. Visit him at joshhollis.com. The Kill by Kill theme was created exclusively for us by Revenge Body. Get the whole track and much, much more at revengebodymemphis.bandcamp.com today.